So I don't know about you guys, but uh, back whenever I was like little, I had these guys that I really, really looked up to, like these athletes. And so back in 2008, there was this thing going on called the Summer Olympics. And during that summer was the summer where this guy, you may or may not have heard about him, his name is Michael Phelps. He was competing in the Summer Olympics. And so I'm watching him and he's competing in eight events. And going into them, everybody was like, holy smokes, this guy has an opportunity to like break the record for gold medals won in a single Olympics. And so me and my young self in 2008, I was like 11 years old, I'm watching this guy and he wins one, and then he wins two, and three, and so on and so forth, and eventually he wins eight gold medals, which is the record. Now in my mind, I'm thinking, bro, I can be just as good as Michael Phelps one day. Like, I, I know for a fact, if I got into that pool and I started swimming and I just started practicing my little heart out, that I could be as good as Michael Phelps. And so, um, long story short, my parents, we have a Brick membership, and for those of you guys who have ever been to the Brick, uh, at the indoor pool, they have these two lanes in the, in the swimming section in the indoor pool. And so we would go over there every single day during summer, and I would swim, and I would swim, and I would swim, and I would swim laps more and more and more. And one day this guy came and he, he was like my age and I was like, hey, you want to race? And Because I didn't think that he was any good. And so, uh, so we got in the pool and we started racing. The man absolutely slaughtered me and I never, I never swam another lap of pool in my life. I just played in the pool from there on. Now, uh, he, he, when I'm looking at Michael Phelps, I'm like, how in the world did he get to that place? How, like, how in the world did he get to be so good at swimming to where he dominates every single other swimmer, not just for one Olympics, but for two Olympics and then a third Olympics as well, where he is dominant in swim. And I think about that. And maybe you've thought about that in the opposite way. Maybe you've looked at somebody, you often do this at Walmart probably, and don't lie, you've done this. You've gone to Walmart and you've said, how in the world did that person end up there? In the most compassionate and loving way, of course, you said that in your mind. And so we, we kind of look at, at life and we look at these people and we're like, how in the world did we get there? And oftentimes we look at other people and we feel bad for them. Or when we look at other people, we see somebody who has more success than us, like say a Pastor Mark. I look at him and I say, how in the world did he get there? And I try to mimic that. We have to look at them and say, okay, how can I get to where they were? Now, Here's the truth. Everybody ends up somewhere in life. Everybody does. You end up somewhere relationally, for example. So if your relationships are bad right now, if you have a bad family relationship, if you have a bad relationship with your friends, you ended up somewhere, you ended up in that place because of decisions that you made that led you there. You end up somewhere financially. If you are in debt, you ended up there because of some decisions that you made in your past that have led you to where you are now. Now maybe you're financially stable and you're, you've ended up there for a reason. Maybe you ended up somewhere emotionally. We all end up somewhere emotionally. Recently, people during COVID went through depression like at astronomical rates, it was crazy. And so people end up somewhere emotionally because of the decisions that they make. And really, during COVID, it was really hard because you know, you're locked inside all the time, you're not doing work, and so on and so forth. And finally, uh, the last two, you end up somewhere physically. How you, how you, are you overweight? Are you healthy? Are you tired? Are you, are you energized? And then you end up somewhere spirit, spiritually. Are you close to God or are you far from God? And we are all somewhere on the spectrum here of these things. And there are other categories that we could talk about and discuss. But uh, 
The point is, is that we all end up somewhere, but here's what I want us to catch. Only a few of us end up somewhere on purpose. Only a few of us, and what I mean by that is, only a few of us get somewhere because we said, you know what, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna make sure that I do this so that I can end up in a good place emotionally. I'm gonna make sure that I end up where God wants me to be occupationally. And so very few of us, very few of us catch what God is doing in our lives. Now, how do we end up somewhere on purpose? The answer is very simple, and it's one word. The word is vision. We have to have a vision. That's how we get somewhere on purpose. And so tonight what I want to do is I want to discuss three things. Number one, I want to discuss what vision is. Number two, how we get vision. And number three, what to do when we get the vision. So what is vision? Vision is becoming consumed with the tension between what is and what could or should be. So I'm going to say that one more time for emphasis. Vision is becoming consumed with the tension between what is and what could or should be. You are somewhere right now, and there is somewhere that God wants you to be. And to become consumed with that is called vision. So if you are in a place financially where you are in debt, and God is saying, you know, I want you to be over here where you're financially free, what's going to happen is is there's going to be a tension that builds inside you because you're currently in debt, but God wants you to be financially free, and you're going to start asking yourself the question, what can I do, what do I need to do in order to become financially free? And God will then step in and give you vision in that moment and give you some direction in how to get free from that. I'm going to go to Proverbs 29, 18, where it says this, where there is no vision, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. So where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. And I think that a lot of us look at that word restraint and we're like, ooh, I don't like that word restraint. We think of like cops restraining people in handcuffs and stuff like that or being like, being like in a, an enclosed area where restrained. Um, but I want you to think about restraint in this verse this way. Have you guys ever been to Six Flags before? Anybody in here? Yeah? Okay, I, I love Six Flags. Now, many of you guys have ridden the Mr. Freeze before. That's my favorite ride at Six Flags. Say, for example, you're on Mr. Freeze and you, you, know, you have your restraints there. Those restraints are there to protect you. Now imagine if you didn't have those restraints on. Mr. Freeze starts out and it goes really, really fast off the rip and you'd be pressed up against your seat and then you go in a loop and then you go in another loop and then you go straight up. And if you didn't have a restraint when you came back down, you're gonna be flying and splat. I mean, you're, you're gone after that point. We need to look at restraint as something that keeps us protected, something that keeps us in line with the will of God. So when we have vision, it's saying that we have restraint. When we have vision, it's saying that we are being kept in line and it keeps us from doing foolish or wasteful things. So because I have vision to be a a pastor, because I have vision to, to minister to youth and to young adults and even to you guys, I'm now going to make decisions based upon what's going to take me deeper into ministry, what's going to take me deeper into becoming a better pastor. I'm not going to try to become a a better physical therapist. There's no point in that because I have God-given vision to fulfill being a pastor and a minister to people. And so you guys all have certain visions that God has given you for your life, and if you truly receive that vision from God, you're going to pursue it with all of your heart. And that restraint is good because it keeps us in line with where God wants us to go and with what God wants us to do. So uh, I also want us to realize here in this verse that it says, 
uh, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. And I just got to throw this out there. That word blessed there is happy also as well. It can be translated as. And so uh, we've been talking about the key to a happy life series. Vision is something that is wise to get. You should be, if you are, are, have wisdom and you are wise, you're going to pursue God's vision for your life. And, and blessed is the one who heeds that wisdom's instruction. So that's just a little tidbit to add on to what Pastor Mark's been saying for the last couple of weeks. So think about your finances for a moment. If you're in debt, credit card debt, med- medical bills debt, whatever it may be, you probably know that it's not a good thing that you're in the hole when it comes to money. But if you get vision on how to properly handle your finances, you're going to figure out a way to get from where you currently are, which is in financial debt and financial bondage, to financial freedom. Let's think spiritually for just a second. If you are, are not close to God right now, there are ways and, and things that you can do that God can give you vision for so that you can get closer and closer to him to where you have an intimate relationship with God. So I want to address one other thing as well. Uh, and it's the fact that we can have visions for our life that are not necessarily from God. And in fact, they can be visions that go against the vision or will that the Father has for our life. So... Um, Think about, again, I'm going to use money a lot because God has an example. God gives us, has a vision and a will for how we use our money. People can use and want money for very wrong reasons, and they can have a vision of how they're supposed to use their money when it's completely in contrast to how God would want them to use your money. Uh, What about relationships? If you have friends that you're hanging out with outside of church that are not spiritual, that drag you away, we've been talking about this uh, in the Wisdom series, Uh, if you have friends that are doing that, then you are not living out God's vision for your life. That goes against the vision and the will that the Father has for you. Occupationally, if you have somebody, if you are in an occupation that, um, that maybe God has another vision for you, and you've had that in your life, and you've known it from a young age, you've known it for a while, and you went another direction with, with the vision that you had for your life, I encourage you, get back on the vision that God has for you, because there is blessing in the vision that God has for you. A God-given vision is something that always glorifies and honors him. Always glorifies and honors him. None of those things, if you're using it to not glorify him, that is not a vision that God has given you. That is something that you've come up with in your own mind. So, uh, you may be thinking that you're past the days of having vision. That you're past the days of dreaming and you're just coasting on from here. You've reached that age where you're like, you know what, I, I, God is done with me. I'm going to let the younger generation take care of it. I'm going to let the, the other guys, the younger guys, get in there and do it. But I'm here to tell you guys something that a lady from summer camp told me. Her name's Miss Rachel, the lady who loves you. And she tells all the teenagers there, it's really corny and really cheesy, but she says this. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. It doesn't matter if you are 100 years old in this room tonight or you're 20 years old in this room tonight. You have a purpose because you're still alive and breathing, which means that God still has something for you to accomplish. God still has vision for your life. When I think about this, I think about guys like Gary Stevens, and I think about guys like Josh Wiestinger, who came up here and gave his testimony just a few weeks ago. These two guys right here should probably not even be alive today. Probably not. 
but God did a miracle in them, and I was thinking about why, and, and the reason why is because, yes, he loves them, but another reason why, and I think more importantly at a deeper level, is he still had a vision and a purpose for their life that they still haven't completed yet. He, he wasn't ready to say, well done, good and faithful servant, because there were still some good things that that faithful servant had to do down on this earth. And it's because God still had vision that they have yet to accomplish in their life, and that's why they are still here today doing major work here at Grace Church and for the larger church in general. So, now that we've discussed what vision is, let's look at how we go about getting vision. So, how we get vision. The way that we get vision from the Lord is first and foremost through prayer. Now you're probably like, ah, prayer again? We're going to talk about more prayer? Yes, we're going to talk about more prayer. And the reason why is because this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Continually. Continually pray. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So here we get a picture at God's vision for us just generally day to day. He wants us to pray without ceasing, is what it says in another place in Thessalonians. It says here to pray continually. continually. And so the way that we get vision is by praying. We pray for God to reveal his vision to us. And now that sounds like, like really, you know, basic and, and you know, it sounds like the ABCs of kind of faith, but it's true. A lot of this stuff is simple. If you just go and you pray and you talk to God about what the, the vision he has for your life, he's going to begin to reveal things to you that you can begin to do. Now, the way we find out about God's vision for our day-to-day lives and beyond is through prayer and communication with the one who is the vision giver himself. So, a couple of years ago, back in like 2018 or 2019, I got like really, really, really sick. Uh, so for three or four days, I had this 103 degree, 104 degree fever, um, and it was consistent. Ibuprofen, we'd get it down to like 101 or 102 degrees, and that was it. And I'm a mom's worst nightmare because two things, I hate taking medicine, and I, I despise going to the doctor. And so my mom's like, you need to go to the doctor. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to the doctor. Meanwhile, I'm like overheating at, at, a, at such a large rate. And, and so I go against my mom's wishes at that time, which I'm sure you mothers have experienced with some of your boys as well. Um, and so after three or four days, I get better. And a couple weeks after that, I have probably 18 or 19 lumps pop up in my neck. And so uh, during that time, I was like, okay, you know what? This is kind of weird. I've got all these lumps in my neck. It looks weird. It feels weird. But I'm just going to kind of you know, let it go for two or three weeks. And I'm sure that it'll go away. Because that's my attitude about everything is like, I'm like, it'll go away. Like, I'll be okay. I can, I, sometimes I have a Superman complex, and I feel like I'm invincible um, when it comes to stuff like that. But uh, two or three weeks pass by and they still haven't gone away. And I go to my mom and my dad, and I'm like, hey, this ain't normal, is it, right? And they're like, oh my gosh, you're like, what? Like, you're like, no, it's not normal, you need to get you to a doctor. And so we go to my, uh, my physician, and he's like, oh man. And I'm like, oh gosh, I've made a big mistake. And so we, he's like, we need to get you, and we need to get you an ultrasound right now, because this is not normal. It doesn't look normal. It doesn't feel normal. And uh, we, we think it may be Hodgkin's lymphoma. So I go through multiple blood tests. I go through CT scans. Uh, and then I also get a biopsy where they had to stick. If you're, if you're kind of uh, afraid of needles, I'd close your ears right now. They had to stick 24 needles into my neck to do biopsies and to, to make sure that there were no uh, 
was no cancer within my lymph nodes. And so they do all this, and mind you, this is about a month and a half long period. And so during this month and a half long period where I'm getting tested, and they're trying to make sure that I don't have cancer, uh, I am stressed as can be. And I'm not like a normal stressed, I, I'm the opposite of what most people are. So when I'm stressed, I sleep a lot and I don't eat a lot. So I was sleeping for like 14 or 15 hours a day, I'd go to work, I'd come home, I'd eat a little, and then I'd go back to sleep. And so because I, my, my, in my mind, the best thing for me to do is just to sleep, sleep the stress away, to sleep, sleep it all away, and when I wake up, everything will be better when everything was just the same when I'd wake up after that. Now, that was a horrible way of handling it, and, and the Lord revealed that to me when one day during these tests, I went out to my back porch, and I saw some birds flying, on, you know, flying in the backyard, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, look at the birds of the air. I take care of them. Why, why would I not take care of you? Why would I not take care of you? And so in that moment, what it did in me was it triggered something. I said, you know what, I need to start praying more. I need to start, I need to start going to the Father more. And, and so what I started doing after that moment that I had with the Holy Spirit out in my backyard was I would go on these prayer walks out on Hidden Creek and back in the trails. And I'm telling you, I would be out there for like two hours listening to worship and doing prayer walks. And one day, one of the best days of my life, as I'm walking and I'm talking with God, I'm about to be home, I'm probably no more than two minutes away, God says to me, why are you running? And in that moment, I knew exactly what he was talking about. He was saying, why are you running from ministry? Because my entire life, I've had it prophesied over me multiple times before that moment. They said, man, you're the day I was saved, they said, you're going to be a pastor. And I was like, you got the wrong guy. Like, you know, I was like, jo I, I can't, not Jonah. But um, I don't want to misquote the Bible. I've done that too often. <laughs> there was a guy, I was like, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong prophecy for the wrong person because I am not going to be a pastor. And that happened multiple times after that. And finally, God says and speaks to me directly, why are you running? And it was from ministry. And in that moment, I got a hold of the vision that God had for me. But it didn't come, and it wasn't clear until I started praying, until I started pursuing him, until I started taking time and setting it aside and saying, you know what, God, do what you want in my life. I, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not in control at all. It, like, this cancer could take my life if it does, it, if it is cancer. And so, you know what, my life is in your hands. And in that moment, he said, why are you running? A couple days later, after that moment, the lumps disappeared. There's no medical explanation for it. The doctors don't know why it happened. And um, he left me with one lump right here uh, on my neck. And I like to think of it like, you know how uh, in the Bible people left altars uh, you know, to remember God? You know, Jacob had altar Bethel where he met with God. God left me a lymph node to remind me of the miracle work that he did in me. So <laughs> that's the way I think about it, at least. Anytime I'm feeling my neck right here, I'm like, hey, thank you, God. Thank you for that. And so, um, and I'm serious. I didn't get vision for the purpose that God wanted me to be in my life until I started praying. And, and so we need to be a praying people. How we get vision is through prayer. And here's the deal. I had been going to church, and I had been reading my Bible, but I wasn't really in tune with the vision that God had for me until I started spending time with him in communion and, and communing with him every single day. And my case, it was two hours a day, pretty much. For your case, it may be 30 minutes. Whatever it looks like, increase your time in prayer and get vision from him if you don't have vision. So now that we know how to get vision, I want to talk about um, what we need to do when we get the vision, what our reaction, what our, our steps have to be 
in order to get vision. And so what I want to do is I want us to take us to the story uh, of Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah in the Bible, he's got his own book. Uh, and so Nehemiah is this guy. He was the cupbearer to the king of Babylon, or uh, of Persia at the time. His name was King Artaxerxes. And so uh, he's the cupbearer. He is his servant. He doesn't really have much say in his life. He does what the king tells him to do. And so we're going to pick it up. And uh, actually, we're not going to pick it up yet. I've got a little bit more background to say. So at this time, Jerusalem is destroyed. I mean, it's in ruins. The walls are, are broken down. The people inside are in constant danger because they don't have the walls to protect them. And somehow, Nehemiah catches wind of this fact that the people are in trouble. The walls are broken down. And so he then receives a vision about wanting to rebuild the wall and help the people in Jerusalem. And so this is where we're going to pick it up in Nehemiah's prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 11. And it says this, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So what do we do when we get vision? The first thing that we need to do again is pray some more. So we talked about prayer, but when you get the vision, don't stop praying. You have to ask God, so now that I have the vision, what do I do with this vision? And what are the next steps that I need to take in order to fulfill the vision? And for Nehemiah, his vision was, I need to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but there are a couple of things that are in the way of me doing that. And so what he first prayed for was Nehemiah prayed for an opportunity. An opportunity for what? He prayed for an opportunity to speak with the king. Because he knows that he can't go rebuild the walls if the king doesn't allow him to go in the first place. And this is a cupbearer we're talking about here. Like, this is a guy who's just a normal, ordinary guy. He has no really standing in, in, the, in the government. He's not a political figure. He's not a major figure at all. He's just an ordinary guy like you and me. And so he had to pray for opportunity. Now, here's an important thing to know about vision. Anytime God gives us vision, we are going to need divine intervention of some sort in order to be successful within completing that vision. This is intentional on the part of God so that we have to lean in on him when we're trying to fulfill his vision for our lives. Because here's the deal. When we get vision, vi the vision is far beyond our capacity of completing on our own. There is no way that the vision that God gives you is going to be completed apart from him. You will fail within the first few weeks, few months of trying it on your own. And so that's why we need prayer. That's why we need to pray for God to open up opportunities to us the same way that Nehemiah did so that we can have open doors for us as we go on our way because we won't have the opportunities that we need to be successful with on our vision if God doesn't give us the opportunity. Now, for you guys, it may look like something like this. Maybe you've had a business dream for a long time. You've been doing the same old work for a, for a long time. And maybe God has put it, something within your heart to start a new business. And, and maybe that's from God. And so here's the deal. You need to start praying for an opportunity for God to start opening doors from you. That you would start not just seeing it, but acting on it as well. And so maybe uh, in the area of finances, God gives you a vision for what your finances are supposed to look like. You need to start praying for an opportunity to not only make, like, as in, if you're in financial debt, not only as an opportunity to make more so that you can get out of debt, but also so that you can eventually, uh, you should already be giving, actually. So start giving, and then God will start giving you vision. So I don't want to say anything that's wrong here. So the second thing that Nehemiah prayed for in this verse was favor. Nehemiah prayed for favor. It says, 
that give, me, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. That's what it says right there. And so we need to pray that God would intervene in the hearts of those who, number one, maybe stand between us and our vision. There are people who are always going to oppose God's plan for your life and try to hold you back. And so you need to ask for favor in the, in the hearts of those people. Or maybe there are people that you need to take along on your vision, that God has laid on your heart and has said, you know what, this person can help you. This person can be a constant encouragement to you. This person can be someone that helps you get from not fulfilling your vision to fulfilling your vision. And so we need to pray for favor within the, within the people that could help us succeed at our vision. So, the final thing that we need to do, we, we pray, uh, and then we plan. It's not the final, actually. It's the second. I'm going too fast. I've got to slow down. We have to plan and prepare. This is the second thing that we need to do after we receive our vision. So, the second thing that Nehemiah did was he planned out what needed to be done. And his plan probably looked something like this. So, step one for him was probably, you know what? I need to convince this guy, the king, that I need to go to Jerusalem, which is the enemy of Babylon, and rebuild the walls. And that sounds like a, like a really, like, like there's no way that the king's going to say yes to that because Jerusalem is the enemy of Babylon, and to rebuild the walls, that's a big deal. That is a big, big deal. And so that's step one. Maybe step two looked like, okay, I need to convince the king to not only let me go over there, but also give me money for the building project to help provide the financial needs that I needed in order to rebuild the wall. And step three probably looked like get... I need to get letters from the king to, to the governors in the surrounding areas to ask them to provide safe passage. And so now not only am I looking for a release from my service, but I'm also looking for financial help, but I'm also looking for safe passage and, a, and somebody to get me there safely. And then step four might look like work out a deal with Asaph who had enough lumber to rebuild the city gates. Step five, ask the king for the title of governor of Judah. So now there's going to be a new ruler put in place of Judah, who's still under the king, but they're still putting a ruler over Jerusalem. And step six, he would have to organize and equip the inhabitants of Judah. And step seven, begin construction. And I'm here to tell you that that plan all worked out. And it's because Nehemiah had vision, and it's because he was obedient, and he was faithful to seeing God's work be done in his life. And it wouldn't have happened if, number one, he didn't pray, and number two, he didn't plan and prepare. And so when I look at my life, I know that I was called to ministry in 2018. And uh, I didn't just all of a sudden become a pastor that day whenever I received that vision. It's not like I received vision on Friday, and then on Sunday I was up in the pulpit preaching. That's not what happened, okay? Obviously not. I didn't start preaching until a couple of years later. And the reason why was because there had to be a planning and a preparation time for God to work in my heart and in my life to prepare me for the work that I needed to do. And so Nehemiah is a cupbearer for four months, or for, he's given this vision, and he has to hold on to this vision for four months. And that seems like a really short time in comparison to how long that a lot of us have been holding on to our visions. But for four months, he has to hold on to this vision, and he has to pray, and he has to plan and prepare. And then finally, once he was ready, God sent him on his way, and he began the construction, and he got everything that he needed in order to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. Think about Moses for a second. Forty years he was in the desert. Forty years he was in the desert. And finally, he was ready to deliver the, the, the Israelites out of Egypt. Look at Jesus. I'm sure he knew what he was supposed to do from the time he was a young age. But for 30 years, for 30 years, he didn't start his ministry. 
He started his ministry when he was 30 years old. And so we have to get vision and we have to plan and prepare in the process of the waiting that God wants us to do. Because if we get up there and, and we get up there too soon, the vision and the light that is put on us is going to be far greater than what we can handle and it's going to crush us eventually. So Habakkuk 2.2 says this, Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation or the vision and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. What this means here is that when you receive a vision, you need to write it down. And that's part of the praying and the, uh, the, the, the planning and the preparation process. Because here's the deal. If you're like me, you probably ha- get something that comes in your mind and then it's out your mind within the next two minutes. You can ask Pastor Mark about this. He'll say, AJ, will you do this for me? And then I'll be like, oh yeah, definitely, I'll do this. And then I just completely forget and then I, I, I have de- then let him down and I've let myself down. So now what I do is a lot of times... I will get my phone out and I'll write it down, or I'll immediately go take care of it. That way, I won't forget it. And so what we need to do is, is when you get a glimpse of your vision, maybe it's not a total vision, maybe it's just a piece of your vision, you need to write it down. You need to write it down. That way you don't forget it, and that way it's fresh and in the moment. So the final thing that we do after we get our vision is found in Nehemiah 6.3. And it says this. So I sent messengers to them, saying, and he sent messengers to the people who were trying to get him to come down off the wall and murder him. He says, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? And so this is what we need to do finally. We need to pursue our vision relentlessly, relentlessly. Nehemiah had these guys while he was building the wall and rebuilding Jerusalem to protect the people who came to him and they were not happy that he was rebuilding the walls because they knew that Jerusalem was always a force, that Jerusalem always was was formidable in war. And so the last thing they wanted to see was the walls of Jerusalem be rebuilt. And so what did people come to do? They tried to come and get Nehemiah to come down, the leader of the people who was rebuilding the gates, and they tried to get him down there so that they could eventually hurt him or murder him in some way. And Nehemiah replies in the most amazing way. He says, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. And that needs to be some of our attitudes to when we're pursuing our vision. There are going to be things in our lives that try to distract us from completing the vision that God has put within, within you. And what you need to say to those things is, I have began a great work. I am not coming down. I am not coming down to do this thing that's going to distract me and pull me away from my vision. In my life, this looks like back many, many years ago, the enemy sent an attack on me through the form of a girl. And so (laughs) the way that he tried to get me, uh, you know, away from my vision was by putting a girl in my life that was not for me. That was not for me. And that she was leading me away from the Father. She was leading me out of relationship with him. And, and so uh, that, was his, uh, that was his scheme. And so thankfully, God got me out of that situation. But I'm here to tell you tonight, maybe you find yourself in a situation where you have gone down from your great work. Where you've said, you know what? Uh, you know, mm, I don't want to do that anymore. Or you've been distracted from the good work and the vision that God has put in your life. And I'm here to tell you, continue to do the good work. Get back on it. Those of you who had a vision a while ago and maybe it's died, pursue it again. Go to the Lord. See if you can pick it up again and pursue after it again. And so in my life, what I'm doing is I'm pursuing ministry. And I'm not going to let any great work, I'm not going to let anything keep me from doing that great work. And you guys need to look at your life and say, what 
in my life is the great work that I'm doing, that the Lord has put in my heart for me to do, that I need to say, you know what, nothing's going to distract me from that. Nothing is going to keep me from fulfilling the vision that God has for my life. So, vision is the tension between where you are and what you want to be. And so how do we get into that vision after we receive it? We pray, we plan and prepare, and we pursue it relentlessly.